torture, and even death. That's the unfortunate future facing thousands of Afghan Christians trying to survive the Taliban rule. They can't count on Biden, so who are they going to call? I'm Martin Moyer, your host of Shout Out Patriots. I'm joined with Pastor Jason Bender of the Patriot Church. Together, we're talking with Ryan Morrow of the Clarion Project and the efforts of that organization to rescue Christians in Afghanistan from radical Islamic death sentences. Good afternoon, Patriots. My name is Martin Moyer. I am the host of Shout Out Patriots. I am joined today by Pastor Jason Bender of the Patriot Church, and I'm also joined by a very good friend of mine, Ryan Morrow of the Clarion Project. Ryan is engaged in some risky but rewarding and courageous business of getting Christians out of Afghanistan and out from under the rule of the Taliban. Now, I understand, Ryan, from the International Christian Concern, is that there are about 10 to 12,000 Christians remaining in Afghanistan, and their lives are under severe threat. But you're trying to get them out. So what can you tell us about that? Uh, The number of Christians has increased despite the reduction that comes from murders. Uh, So I think the numbers are actually much higher than 10 to 12,000. Now, I understand that even before the Taliban took over, Open Doors had ranked Afghanistan as the second most extremist country in the world persecuting Christians. And I think that shocks a lot of people because uh, our troops were there. Uh, Nevertheless, they managed to climb the ranks of uh, persecution. That's kind of a shocker. Uh, Sam, uh, Senator Sam Brownback had said that it was barely livable before as a Christian to live in Afghanistan, but now it's actually deadly. Would you agree with that? Oh, for sure. Uh, and no Christian would tell you di- differently. Uh, and I think one of the most frightening things for a Christian is that it's not just terrorist groups trying to track you down and kill you. It's the fact that the average guy, someone that you might have just been talking to, you know, not a close friend, but you thought that you were on good terms with him, might rat you out in exchange for money or if the Taliban comes up to someone and, and they feel threatened by that Taliban member, but they might try to win their favor by saying, oh, well, you know what? You don't want to hurt me because I know about those Christians down the block. Um, so there's all sorts of incentives that people have uh, to rat out the Christians, sometimes in order to save their own lives. Uh, and as a result, though, uh, the church has grown. Uh, we see this very interesting dynamic where the countries that oppress Christians the most are the exact places where the church is growing fastest. And so there, there is a, a flip side to all of this. Um, for me, operationally, uh, talking to Christians in Afghanistan and Christians who have, have fled Afghanistan or, or that we helped evacuate out of Afghanistan are some of the best intelligence sources you could ask for. Uh, they are some of the best humanitarian workers because they understand how to survive in the worst of conditions. So they're great for advice. And I've got to tell you, whether it's a Christian, a Muslim, an atheist, or even someone who identifies as Jewish has happened recently, as soon as I talk to the Christians without asking them to do anything, because I'll never ask them to like risk their life for someone else, they just go out and they, they rescue people. And it's amazing to see. So I want to play a short video clip. So Michael, if you can get that ready. 
Uh, now, this video clip is going to be uh, was done by a news organization called Rome Reports out of Rome. So it's going to be a gentleman called Alan Asani, and he used to live in Afghanistan as a Christian, and he escaped that country. Now he lives in Rome, and he's trying to help other another family that's currently living in Afghanistan as a Christian escape the Taliban rule. So let's play that clip, Michael. Many Afghans are terrorized by the Taliban's takeover. That's the case of the family that Alan Azani is trying to help from Rome. Five days ago, the father was arrested, captured. The others fled because they were identified as Christians. They told me, now that the Taliban have arrived, we'll be the first to be forced to pray at the mosque, or they will kill us because we are Christian. I'm a Christian. I experienced that horror as a child, so I understand the suffering of these people. I understand what it's like to be a persecuted Christian in a country where there is no freedom of worship, no freedom of choice. I want something to be done immediately to save this family. They are in grave danger. I want to read something from the Voice of Martyrs, though, that describes the situation in Afghanistan before the Taliban even took over. I'm trying to set it up that, look, this was bad before. You can imagine how bad it's going to get now. So let me read you this quote from uh, the Voice of the Martyrs. Afghan Christians cannot worship openly. They must worship in homes or other small venues, and evangelism is forbidden. Beatings, torture, and kidnappings are routine. And a small number of Christians are martyred every year in Afghanistan. A few are in prison, but most Christian converts are killed by family members or other radicalized Muslims before any legal proceedings can begin. So this was their life uh, before Biden took all of our troops out of that country. Um, what can you tell us as to what you think is going to happen to these Christians that were already suffering severe persecution before? What's going to happen now to them, Ryan? Well, there, there's a few things that are going to happen. Certainly, a lot of them are going to be killed, tortured, attacked. Um, frankly, a lot of them are going to starve to death, which, by the way, is all preventable even now. Um, because I must say, one of the great disappointments I've seen is the failure of the church to get involved in this. Because for the price of just like a couple of burgers, you can save a family. Uh, it is really cheap to save Christian lives in Afghanistan. Uh, it doesn't have to be a pricey aircraft to evacuate them out. There's all sorts of things that we can do. Um, but getting people to donate towards that uh, has been uh, quite difficult. Um, and it's a, it's a situation that could be easily um, addressed. It won't be Disneyland, uh, but it, it wouldn't have to be like this, where every Christian thinks that they're going to die within a week. Um, but like I said before, the trend is, is that where Christians are oppressed the most is where the church grows the fastest. Let me just go back to something that you mentioned before. So, you know, we see what's going on in Afghanistan through the news. We understand the hardship that our fellow brothers and sisters are enduring. We live here in America, right? So we see that the American churches are, are closing in droves and we're, we're allowing government overreach to intervene in the way that houses of worship are conducting business if you will why do you think that you have that disparity where we're not being persecuted here in america but we're allowing um you know the, the unchurch that you know those that that aren't of the church to allow us to you know to dictate how we're uh acting and participating but why are there so many over there when they're enduring that extreme hardship and persecution to not denounce Christ, right? To, to not 
say, you know what, I'm going to recant my faith. Why, why do you, you think that we have that difference? We are too comfortable to see miracles. I've got to tell you, since I've been involved in this effort in Afghanistan, the amount of miracles that happen on a, on a daily basis is just astonishing. Uh, and it's not like Red Sea crossing type miracles. It's those situations where all these coincidental things come together in order to save a life um, and to, in some cases, change the entire course of, of life or family or even a community. And you say, how did that happen? All right, well, maybe that was a weird coincidence. Just one of those things that are very, it's very rare to happen. And I just happen to see it, but then you'll see it happen the next day and the next day and the next day. And you'll say, what, there's something going on here. And, it, and so it's really inspiring. And I think that in order to see the, the light of God and the love of God, uh, it is most vivid to see that with a background of darkness and hatred. And so people are attracted in, in Afghanistan to what they see in the Christians that separates them from other people, uh, from tribes, from communities that may have a long-lasting like tribal war, a, a, a turf war, and the Christians say, I'm not going to engage in that. Um, and that attracts people to it. And the people who are attracted to it are in a position to see those really rapid life transformations as a result. Um, and so I know that through the Afghan Christians, I've certainly felt uh, closer to God and more spiritual as a result. Um, even as they say, having Christians outside of Afghanistan intervene, oftentimes volunteers, people spending their own money has made them closer to God. Um, and so it, it's a horrible situation, but it's also special in a way. Um, and I would also emphasize, as I said before, uh, the Christians there do have Muslim protectors, and the Christians protect those Muslims. Uh, and in some cases, those will be Muslims who were radical before because they never met a Christian. And then they met a Christian, and they said, I'm not, uh, I can't hate these people. And, and so bonds are formed through that initial hatred. Yeah, so uh, we talked about you know, what life was like uh, before the Taliban took over, and it wasn't all that great to begin with. Uh, now a lot of Christians want to escape Afghanistan. We really haven't uh, asked you yet how you're helping to get these Christians out of that country. I have read that some of the problems Christians are facing over there is that they don't have passports, so that doesn't help them to start with. And many of them have to keep their phones turned off because the Taliban will go door-to-door and search people's phones to see whether or not they have the Bible downloaded on it. And if they do, they'll be arrested and detained and possibly tortured or worse after that. So uh, here they don't have passports. Uh, uh, few have phones that are turned on. And your goal is to somehow find them, reach out to them, and get them out of the country. How are you doing that? Well, not all of them want to leave. Some of them do want to stay, part partially because it's what where they're familiar, they have friends and family, and so they'd rather die there with, with them than risk leaving them. Others feel like that they have a, a divine mission to spread um, peace and love, if not getting other people to convert, because it's more than just, oh, I want people to join my religion. They want to improve other people's lives, and they feel that they're doing that. Um, and so a lot of them do want to stay, and then a lot of them want to evacuate so that they can be in a safe area and do even more good than they were in Afghanistan. 
Um, as for the type of aid that we're doing, uh, we were partnering with other organizations like Glenn Beck's group uh, to assist with evacuations. We were doing a lot of data processing. Uh, we were recruiting Afghans, getting the data um, on them because uh, as soon as I got involved in this, I had literally get this 7,000 Afghans reach out to me on social media or email. Um, and then somehow my phone got out, my phone number got out there. So I got a lot of text messages. <laughs> So seven to 8,000 people um, directly asked, and it's growing every single day. And so we had this database. We said, well, what are we going to do with this? And that's when we sprung into action, created a volunteer team, started working with other groups like Glenn Beck's group, uh, the Nazarene Fund. And so with them, we evacuated about 50 Christians um, out of the country. And we're working on more evacuations. Glenn Beck's group right now is focused on resettlement and helping the people who already got out partially due to funding, partially because of the State Department, partially because of difficulties with the countries accepting refugees. Um, but there's a lot more you can do. There are other ways outside of Afghanistan that I won't detail. Um, there are ways to sustain um, the lives of the Christians and other people through safe houses, food, medical aid. Um, particularly, there's a lot of uh, volunteer medics on the ground who, who rush at great risk of their own lives to help people. Uh, so th there's a lot that can be done. Unfortunately, the big barrier really does come down to money, and it, it doesn't take a lot of money, like I said before, to dramatically improve the lives and save lives in Afghanistan. Uh, it, it's really astonishing to see what, like, $10 can do or what $100 can do. Everybody, unless you're poor yourself, legitimately poor, uh, there's something that everyone can do something. $1 is not $1 in Afghanistan. It's a lot more. Yeah. So, Pastor Jason, I can kind of see it going both ways over there in Afghanistan. If I'm a Christian, uh, I don't know. I probably would take the option of getting out of the country. I don't know that I would take the option of staying in uh, if I had a way out. Uh, but this is kind of a tough question for Christians, wouldn't it be, uh, you know, to stay or flee? Uh, maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think as Ryan, as I'm listening to Ryan speak about all these things is that there's a, a calling that, that the Lord puts in, in your life, you know, and, and if God gives you the grace and the faith to say, look, there's other people here that you can impact their lives, there's Muslims who you can share the gospel with, and if the Lord puts that on your heart, hey, obey the Lord, do his will, do his bidding, and stay even if there's danger there, so yeah, sure. A lot of people are going to want to flee. They're going to want to get out of harm's way. But I'm sure there's going to be a lot that say, you know what, this is my my mission. This is my life. And I've laid down my life for the cause of Christ, regardless of what the outcome is. Yeah, you know, but it's not just laying down your life. Uh, I've watched videos where these Christians are actually tortured mercilessly, right? And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a different type of commitment than just saying, okay, yes, I will die. Uh, for Christ. You're actually saying, I will put my body at the exposure of these ruthless, criminal, cruel Taliban leaders, and God knows, and really only God knows, what they're going to do to you when they find you. Uh, Ryan, so I'm wondering, uh, have any Christians actually been caught by the Taliban trying to leave the country? Do you know uh, if that's happened and what happens to them if they do get caught? 
Yeah, I mean, like you said before, uh, it's more often family members and friends and members of the community. I've heard stories of people who aren't even Christian, but someone didn't like their neighbor. And so they told the Taliban, that guy's running like a, a baptism over there. And so uh, the Taliban goes over there and, and then kills them, arrests them or, or whatever. And that goes a lot on a lot in Afghanistan where there's this petty argument. And then someone's like, oh, I'm going to win because I'm going to tell Taliban that you're a bad guy. And it's really ridiculous. So there's all sorts of, of danger for them. Uh, I do know of Christians and certainly non-Christians who are pro-Christian who have been uh, caught by the Taliban, uh, either going to pick up a passport or they were just seen going out to get some food. In many cases, if, if they're homeless, it's obviously easier to identify them. Um, and, and that seems to be one of the biggest concerns right now, uh, because the Tal with the Taliban, they're not that sophisticated, and a lot of them uh, don't have the will. A lot of them are lazy. A lot of them are bribable. When it's winter and it's cold out, a lot of them don't want to be outside. Uh, and so if you do things like move people around and change their addresses so they're in a community where no one knows them, very good chance you're going to keep them safe. But that costs money. Uh, renting an apartment for $150 a month or $300 or $500, whatever, um, that can save a lot, a lot of lives, but they don't have that money. Um, and so it's, there's simple tactics that you can do, getting burner phones for them. Uh, that, that's a very important thing to do. Uh, and so there's all these security measures that can be done uh, by them and then other people. But nonetheless, there are always those incidents where, especially if someone gets evicted and they're homeless, uh, their chances of getting caught by the Taliban or a Taliban sympathizer or someone who doesn't even like the Taliban, but they don't like Christians either, uh, the chances of that encounter go sky high. All right. For those uh, who are listening in or watching uh, this, uh, Ryan's on Zoom, so some of the audio is coming in and out, of it, but I think for the most part we can understand completely what he's saying. Uh, but if you see some dropouts going on, uh, it's a Zoom connection problem that we're having. Uh, but I think we're going to work our way th through it. Um, so, Pastor, this is, uh, this is quite an interesting thing for Americans, Christians here in the United States to see what Ryan is doing and what his great organization is attempting to do. Um, uh, and I think what Ryan's saying that, you know, look, it's $150 to rent a house, right? To, yeah, but you're putting more than one person in that house, correct? Yeah, so, right. you know, the actual cost of helping an individual Christian in Afghanistan, I think, is something that should kind of weigh on the hearts of uh, Christians here in America to reach out to those uh, unfortunate people who now have to live under that type of uh, ruthless rule. What do you think? I can sometimes fit comfortably 15 people in one of those places for 150 200 maybe $250 a month. And then, of course, there's nicer ones for bigger families and stuff like that, but uh, I, I'm not a mathematician, but I can tell you that the uh, dollar per value on that type of donation is, is pretty high. Uh, $150 to $200 to save uh, 15 people for a month. I mean, yeah, that, that's incredible, Ryan. And, and just, you know, the work that you and your organization are doing, it's, it's phenomenal. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, let me ask you a question. In a, a practical type of manner, how does the church operate and function over there? So, you know, when I'm thinking about what, what it looks like over there. Obviously, they're not meeting in a church building like we would here in America. Is it a handful of maybe a family, a couple of people who meet in the house, or are they, you know, maybe walking a long distance to go to a, a secret 
house to, to meet and gather and worship? How does that look like? They definitely know each other, which is interesting. So uh, a lot of the Christians who we evacuated would not tell us about the other secret Christians until we evacuated them. And then they said, if you think you can get five people on a flight, we'll tell you about five people and send their pictures and, and evidence that they're Christian and, and that we've known them for a long time. Uh, and so even uh, I'm blind to uh, how many are there. Um, but how they conduct their services, I mean, the, sometimes it'll be online, through the phone. There, there are still a, a lot of people who are meeting together, and it's not just family. It'll be families and friends um, going over to a residence. Obviously, that the frequency of that has decreased. Um, but the trend that you've seen in the U.S. away from mega churches and away from people saying, well, in order to be a Christian, you have to go to not only a church, you've got to go to a nice church, you've got to go to a church that I approve of. Uh, that, that decreasing uh, popularity of that type of thinking is certainly present in, in Afghanistan and elsewhere. Uh, I would much rather be at their church, which is a church without a building, than some of the churches with massive buildings here in the United States. Right, we certainly um, get that. And so basically for them, a church is people communicating and people getting together and in some way um, everyone benefiting from the faith of the person next to them. Now, it's kind of interesting, uh, and I want to bring this up uh, so that people listening in uh, understand really what we're all about here. Uh, it's a little bit easier to reach out and try to find Christians in Afghanistan that need to be evacuated because of the ruthless Taliban rule, but there's many other individuals over there who will also risk their lives living in Afghanistan. There's journalists over there. Uh, there's uh, gays and lesbians over there. Uh, there's other type of minorities over there. Uh, but kind of unfortunate for them, uh, they don't have sort of a, uh, a group meeting they can go to where they can seek support uh, to be able to reach out. Uh, what about those people? Are people reaching out to those individuals as well? Yes. Uh, so there are different evacuation efforts aimed at different types of people. Sometimes it'll just be female judges. Sometimes it'll be activists. Sometimes it'll just be gays and lesbians. Um, and so people will fit a certain focus of an evacuation. And the reason that exists is because um, certain organizations and NGOs, they have to stay within their mission statement. So they're not able to perhaps legally, but certainly in terms of fundraising, go too far beyond what their mission statement is and just start rescuing everybody. Now, if there's an extra seat on their plane, of course, they'll, they'll fill that um, if, if they're able to. In many cases, they're not able to because of logistical errors and the overall chaos and duplication that has plagued this whole effort. But um, I, I can understand the intention that if a group is focused on journalists, then they're going to evacuate journalists and their family because that's within their mission statement. Their donors are going to be most passionate about that. Um, so it's not a cruel thing, it's just being pragmatic. Uh, but the, if you look at the list of the number of people uh, that the Taliban would like to kill according to their own theological, ideological beliefs, um, those that they like to torture or in prison, it, it's the majority of the population. It's the vast majority. Now, I don't think they're going to kill all of them because they need someone to work at the stores and someone to be their slaves and people to be their wives and, and that sort of thing. Um, but that gives you an idea of how little support the Taliban actually has. And the Christians, and then also Muslims who hate the Taliban, and actually people who have fought them, because there is a, a violent resistance against the Taliban, 
uh, they all tell me that between 20 and 30 percent of people in the Taliban are just in the Taliban because their family was in there or they, they need a job. And they're like, I'm not really sure why I'm in the Taliban. Um, I have one friend who had a Taliban guy approach him. Uh, my friend is about 20 years old. And he had a similarly aged Taliban guy with a gun come up to him and was like, you, you're dressed so Western. Explain to me why you're doing this. And my friend got all nervous. And then the guy goes, I'm just messing with you. Dude. <laughs> like, I'm messing with you and just start joking around with him. You know, I, I don't want to give uh, Biden a pass here, right? Because Biden created this mess. And yeah. uh, so the State Department had a priority list drawn up uh, who would get evacuated first. So it's women at risk journalists, academics, pilots, and minority populations, whatever that means, but not Christians. And I think it tells a lot about the mentality of the State Department and the Biden administration that uh, Christians, there were, I, I understood thousands of, uh, is this correct? I read thousands of Christians were trying to get to the Kabul airport to get on one of these planes, and none of them were allowed uh, on because they did not meet this criteria that the State Department had set up. Um, uh, are you familiar with that? Yes. Yeah, so to play devil's advocate, I think what the government would say if you press them on this is that they count as a minority group. But has there been any Christian specific outreach to try to identify them and rescue them? No, it's it's part of this overall evacuation effort, which, by the way, there have been people who should not have gotten on those planes who have been evacuated. So when they make it seem all nice, like, oh, we're just taking out the people who are most in peril, no, no they're not. Um, I've heard stories of people who get the special immigration visa because they did some work at a military base, which is dangerous, but it was like they delivered food there. Um, that's not a top Taliban target. Uh, a, a Christian convert is a top Taliban target. There are many other top Taliban targets. They are not hunting the chefs. Uh, I, I mean, if they come by a chef, maybe they heard them, but, but you don't hear about hit squads going around saying we got to kill the chefs. Well, yeah. Um, well, so you, you got this. That? Well, you, one of the priorities is women at risk. I'm not even sure what the heck that means. I mean, if you're women, that's every and, woman. I, no, it's everybody right. over there, right? And even more the Christian women, right? Yeah, but no men oh, at yeah. risk. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you're a man at risk, you know, you, you don't qualify to get on the plane. But if well, you're a woman, a good looking at risk, woman. Yeah. <laughs> a good-looking woman that's single, like, that's not – you better not go outside uh, because there right. are people who are not Taliban but are creeps. And being a creep and, and brutalizing women and treating them terribly is normalized enough that the person who was protecting you from the Taliban at one se in one second might turn around and have a horrible view of women and what they can get away with and, and, and do something else. So is this a, a, a long game plan that you have for getting Christians out of uh, Afghanistan? Uh, is there a certain time limit on it? Uh, so if someone is listening to this podcast six months down the line, are you still going to be doing this where they could uh, write out a donation? Yes, um, for sure. And people can just Google Afghan Rescue Project or go to my Twitter account. My name's Ryan Morrow, M-A-U-R-O, and you'll find the link there. Um, and I work for a group called the Clarion Project. Uh, you can go to their website, clarionproject.org. Um, so there's all sorts of ways that you can donate and, and get these updates. So as much as possible, I want people to know where their donation goes. And on a private basis, if you're cynical, and you should be towards nonprofits, <laughs> I'm happy to 
share what I can privately that I wouldn't post publicly because I want everyone to know where each penny went. I'm fine showing that. Um, but I do plan on doing this long term. The unfortunate reality is, is that it didn't have to be this way and it still doesn't have to be this way. There is a solution. This can be turned around rapidly if the US government or people around the world, including the church, started backing the National Resistance Front, which is the, the Afghans who are fighting the Taliban, same, basically the same group uh, that consisted of the Northern Alliance in October 2001 that allied with the US and very quickly overthrew the Taliban. We can repeat that very quickly. Uh, especially if the U.S. military was involved, but even, even if it's not. There's other countries that I think would provide support. And even if no governments provide support, if people around the world thought creatively, there are many ways you can support a movement like that, and the Taliban will collapse just as fast, if not faster, than the speed with which they took over the country. Uh, so it's one thing to be upset at a, at a situation that you think is inevitable. This is not inevitable. None of this has to happen. We can fix it very quickly. We could create a safe zone within Afghanistan, run by the National Resistance Front and other areas that rise up against the Taliban bravely. And ideally, you want to beat the Taliban, but you don't even necessarily need to do that. If you just liberate half of the country by helping Afghans liberate themselves, this humanitarian crisis dwindles down to a tiny percentage of what it currently is. And the refugees won't come to the U.S. anymore. They'll stay within their country in the safe spot and rebuild it. Well, playing the devil's advocate on that one, the Afghan resistance front. Um, yes. that, all right, so they're going to go up against the Taliban, but the Taliban now is armed to the teeth with American equipment that they didn't have previously. How, how does the resistance force go up against them now? It makes it tougher. It certainly, it's a bit tougher than October 2001 in, in that regard, in terms of equipment and in terms of how much territory the Taliban holds now uh, versus then. But uh, the, the Taliban is much less popular. Um, and because of the internet and things like that, the ability to wage a guerrilla war, to wage ideological war, asymmetric war, and by war, I, I mean lots of nonviolent means. Uh, is also much higher. Uh, you have a young population in Afghanistan, uh, the most of which probably don't have much memory of what it was like under the Taliban, but they've heard the stories. They're not gonna be happy about those rights going away. Uh, so uh, you have all the elements there for, even if the Taliban had superior firepower now, uh, it's, it, it wouldn't be enough. There, there's not enough Taliban supporters there. They're not smart enough. They're not good enough. Uh, they have no moral power because moral authority is a, a difference maker on the battlefield. And it wouldn't be hard to equip um, the Afghan. I mean, think about this. Think, what if all the guns that we had uh, given to the security forces, we said, if you're going to disband and flee the Taliban, just give them out or give them to every woman. If every woman had a gun in, in Afghanistan, what do you think would happen? How far would the Taliban get? Not that far. Yeah, well, if you keep talking bad about the Taliban like that, you're going to have your picture back up on a wall like our picture was up on the MOA uh, guardjack wall with darts being thrown at it. So that, That's my dream, Marty. <laughs> Everything I do is just an exercise to become more like you. Oh, that wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. Uh, Pastor, I'm going to let you have the last uh, question here. Yeah, so, so Ryan, as I'm thinking about this whole topic that we're speaking about tonight, 
my mind goes to the goal for these radical Islamists is a worldwide caliphate. Can you just let our, our viewers and our listeners know tonight, is that their goal? You know, what's the purpose here for the persecution of these Christians over there in Afghanistan? They view disagreeing with their faith and their ideology as a physical attack. Like they fuse that in their mind. So if I'm speaking out against the Taliban, it's the same thing as punching them in the face. Uh, and that's because they understand that the ideological war is more damaging to them than even physical combat. All right, you shoot one of them. All right, that, that's a pretty limited interaction. Uh, but if you have a powerful group of activists going in against them and debunking their ideology and exposing their corruption, their immorality, I'm sorry, immortality, immorality sorry, uh, I need to have some water. It's, that's much more damaging to them. So they equate uh, opposing them in any way as, as a physical attack. But ultimately, they do believe in forming a caliphate, a regional Islamic state that then grows to destroy Israel and eventually overtake the whole world. Uh, there's a lot of apocalyptic beliefs in there. Uh, and, but luckily for us, uh, when you're an intolerant Islamic fascist like them, they tend to be intolerant of each other. They don't handle disagreement very well, which is why ISIS and the Taliban are killing each other. Uh, that's why there's always a split. If a group gets too big uh, in the jihadi world, they, there's always a split and they end up killing each other. Uh, because they never they view every difference as apostasy. Uh, so there's plenty of room to be optimistic. As horrible as things are, there are positive trends uh, going our way. And if you look at the powers that they have versus the powers that we have, it, it's a joke, which is why I'm so frustrated at the situation that we're in, because if the U.S. acted like a moral superpower and its allies did, and if people around the world just did independently outside of the governments, this situation could be turned around quickly. Lots of situations around the world could be turned around quickly. Yeah, you know, it, it's almost worthy of another podcast so people can understand the infighting that you're talking about. Because I don't think many people are that familiar with the uh, verbal and physical confrontation that goes on between the Sunnis and the Shiites and uh, uh, and all the other uh, Islamic religions that are out there and that they really hate each other in many cases. And... Uh, go to war with each other. Uh, so you're right. Uh, they are very particular about what they believe in, and they're willing to uh, fight even their own people to uphold even the slightest difference of interpretation of the Quran. Yeah, it's like if you ever saw the movie Mean Girls, uh, if you ever saw that movie and then you added uh, a bunch of RPGs and beheadings, uh, <laughs> that's basically what the radical Islamic world was like. <laughs> Well, Ryan, it was great to have you on our podcast today, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day because I know you are very busy and uh, uh, you got a lot of stuff on your plate. Uh, so thanks for taking time and talking to our listeners and viewers out there. And uh, one more time, if people want to donate, how do they do it? Uh, they can Google Afghan Rescue Project or go to my Twitter account at Ryan, R-Y-A-N, Morrow, M-A-U-R-O, and also go to clarionproject.org for uh, my employer's website um, if you want to sign up for the newsletter, social media, or anything like that. All right. Well, thanks, Ron, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on again soon. Thanks for joining Look us. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye.